as a hiring manager, I have learned over the years that just because you post a job on your website doesn't mean people have seen it, right? Yeah. So we, I have hired or um, placed job advertising at like historically black colleges or in female groups or what, and you have to make a concerted effort mm-hmm. to make your job available out there if you want more diversity in your hiring or more diversity in your candidate pool, at least. Um, so you have to do that concerted effort. I think there are jobs out there for sure for women, but what I want to say to every woman listening that has self-doubt, stop being so self-doubtful. None of us know what we're doing. We're doing the best that we can. You just have to try. Welcome to the Bombshell Business Podcast, where driven women in business learn how to become more bold, brave, and unwaveringly confident feel empowered and challenged through inspiring stories and tell it like it is advice for business, life, and leadership. Welcome or welcome back to the Bombshell Business Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Hurdle, and I'm really happy about today's conversation that we're about to have. Um, When I saw this person kind of come through into my world, I immediately emailed Amy and was like, I want to talk to her. So as you all know, I don't really pick our guests. Um, Amy handles all of that. And then I'm just delighted to meet all the cool people that get to come on here. But there's something about this that I was just like, "Mm, so many things that are important to me and I think needs to be a part of a conversation that we can all have together. So let me just dive right in. Y'all know how I do. There's no announcements today. Let's just get to it. Um, Let me tell you about our guest. So the daughter of immigrants from Nicaragua, Martha came to Miami when she was 10 years old with her parents and learned to speak English. Her dad, who saw the value of her studying math and science, encouraged Martha to study both subjects. And that alone just gave me the goosies. Go, dad. And as a result, she earned her MBA and headed directly into the male dominated tech world. Ooh, ooh, long time ago, I did a a blog post about that. We'll have to maybe stick that in the show notes. Because of her dad's encouragement to know no boundaries, she now has 20 plus years of B2B marketing experience in SaaS, semiconductor, networking, and network security at startups, private, and public companies. As a top executive, she has successfully led through 20 plus mergers and acquisitions. Holy cow! including managing several integrations and acquisition exits. Prior to joining her present position at Talru, Martha held senior leadership roles in marketing at RigUp, which is now WorkRise, and Enverus, I might have said that incorrectly. Both companies have reached unicorn status. If you're not impressed by this point, I don't know what I can say to make you be impressed, but welcome to the show, Martha. Hi, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. So we've got a lot to unpack today, but can we just first just go straight to the jugular and say, not only are you female, but you're a Latina female in the tech industry. What's that like? Can we just start there? It's definitely weird. Uh, And I say it's weird or I guess atypical, Uh, probably, oh, 2019. I decided that I needed a Hispanic female executive coach because I felt like I was stalled in my career. And I was like, I want someone that's worked in tech, that's been an operator before, and I couldn't find one. Wow. I wish I was joking, but I could. I spent like um, six months looking for someone. Uh, I have like, I've got a bunch of connections on LinkedIn. I reached out to everyone that I know. And then I was like, oh, that's when I started to realize like, there's not very many of me out there. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> 
there's not. That's why I was like, oh, speaking of unicorns, let's have her on the show. <laughs> because I think it's like if if you cannot find the person, then you must become the person. Like if you're ready at that level and there's nobody above you, then that's God, the universe, whatever you want to say, saying like you're at sis, that's you. So <laughs> how are you leading in this space? Like how are you becoming or acting as that example as that mentor, whether you're interacting with other, like specifically Latina, but just using that power of yours for anyone. Yeah. So I, I guess I'll talk about like my transition from then until now, because I think at that point in my career, I kept trying to be something that I wasn't mm. in the sense that I was sitting in executive rooms or board meetings and I wanted to act like a white male. Yeah. <laughs> like, but I, but I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't have the language to articulate that. Um, but that's what I realized. So then I went on this quest of like, I really need to find Hispanic female leaders that are now executive coaches. I, I, I didn't find one, but through that quest is when I realized like, okay, trailblazing is hard <laughs> and it's, it's not for the faint of heart and I'm human. Right. So I don't know what I'm doing in the sense of I give it my best every day. And I have made a concerted effort. I've always um, wanted to reach back and make sure that I was empowering women of color being one. But now I really make a concerted effort to focus on that, to drive conversation around that, to talk about DEI and not just as a checkbox, because everyone wants to say that. Um, diversity of thought, regardless of your background or diversity of background, um, is super important for driving innovation forward and companies forward. And so now I, I don't know, do my, do my best to, uh, help move the, move the needle on that. Yeah, totally agree. And I love now it's, you know, we always like to add on new letters to everything. And so now I'm seeing a lot of it being DEIB, and I love the B part specifically to, so I don't know, I'm going to just say it and hope I don't get myself in trouble this way because I'm, you know, I was raised in Southern California, so none of my friends look the same. It wasn't like black yeah. or white or Mexican and Caucasian. Like it was all everyone, like everyone. And uh, we had a variety of, of, you know, I had Korean and um, Vietnamese and Japanese and um, Guatemalan and Mexican and, and, and Brazilian. I mean, I could go on and on. So yeah. for me, what is normal and what I need to feel like, oh, we're now we're cooking is to have lots of different faces, but diversity, equity, inclusion, unfortunately in the Caucasian world has been politicized and yeah. And it's so frustrating. So once you add that B on, it's like, okay, you know what we're doing here, guys? You know what? This is not political. This is about creating an environment of belonging where everyone feels like they belong. It doesn't matter what color your skin is, what your ethnic uh, background is. It doesn't ma matter if you're neurodivergent or neurotypical. It doesn't matter if what your sexuality is like, we're going to create a place where you can come plug in your gifts to the bigger picture and belong. So where, where is it in that journey where you were like, I'm the odd man out and there's really not a seat for me here or what happened that made you say like, this is important. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll be completely vulnerable here. I had several um, encounters where my boss, typically a CEO would say, I need you to behave more like insert name here. I'm going to use the word Scott and Scott is not a real person, but it was always a white man. And I 
I mean, I'm going to be honest with you with my executive coach at the time, I, I remember um, being in, in the Wells Fargo building, crying in this office, like, I'll never be like this. And then, the, and we had this aha, like sometimes it takes a light bulb moment. And it was this light bulb moment. Like, of course, I'm never going to communicate like Scott. I'm not six foot two. I'm not white. I'm not a man. Like there is no way that I'm going to communicate like Scott or behave like Scott or, and why should I keep trying? So there was this point of like, this paradigm shift where I decided, you know what, I'm going to reframe this. Like, here's who I am here. Here's my background. Here's what I can talk to you about. Here's what I know. Um, and that's where I started to really embrace my story, which sounds sad, right? I struggle with the fact that like, maybe there was shame there around that, you know, because I wasn't fitting in this executive box, if you will, but now it's really empowered me. And I think that my team now, for example, at Telru, there's almost 20 of us and they come from different walks of life and different backgrounds and different ages. But now I figured out like what that belonging really means because everyone's opinion matters. And there's a high degree of psychological safety, mm. regardless of where you come from. Right. And what color your skin tone is. And not that that stuff isn't important, right? Like those identifiers, I don't only want to be known as a Latino woman in tech, right? Of course. But, but those identifiers are important. And, but you help build psychological safety when you have that true belonging. And then some of that whole politicized DEI thing that you were mentioning, it kind of goes by the wayside. People aren't like, oh, this black woman said, you know what I mean? It changes. It changes. Am I allowed to say that out loud? Like, totally. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I love that you're not like that, that you also acknowledge like, okay, I'm bringing this to the table. It's a part of my story. It's a part of my identity, but it is not my identity all encompassing. Cause I don't, I'm not a woman in business. <laughs> I'm a business owner. Like I'm an advisor. I am all those things, but like, yeah, my point of, of reference is from a female perspective. There's value to that. There is a feminine energy. There's value to that. When I think about like, um, you know, there was oftentimes where I was the only Caucasian at like a birthday party. It was everyone else there was um, Mexican. And that was very normal for me. And since I'm Sicilian, what I found is like that passion and that um, sense of community and that sense of family and food and festivity. Like I always have that in common with that particular culture. And that's something that you could bring to the table that maybe a straight lace white person doesn't necessarily have. They could, they could, but maybe not. So it's just put it all in a blender and like, let's have an awesome fruit salad that we're serving up every single day. Um, so let's go back to your story because I'm pretty unabashed about like, I got knocked up at 16. I got some grit. This is why I'm psychotic about branding because I had to brand myself. What's up? Like, I don't even apologize for it. So it seems like what was it that took you from shame to embracing that? Struggle, a lot of struggle. <laughs> I mean, I think you can relate to that, right? I think in general, being um, a child of immigrant parents, you're gritty, you have a really hard work ethic. Immigrants are like, oh, when you feel like you're tired and you've worked too much, you haven't, work harder. Like. <laughs> Like that's how I was raised. And let me tell you that there's a lot of benefits in that. And there are some definite downsides, right? I think it, a lot of struggling and a lot of just like getting exhausted and finally being like, you know what, this is my story. This is who I am. This is what I can bring to the table and finding places that value that. And doesn't mean that every 
place that I could potentially work, I should go work, right? So I read, I think it was like a meme or an article recently that it was like, okay, a bottle of water at uh, the grocery store is a dollar, a bottle of water at the gas station is $3 and at the, at the airport, it's $8, find your airport. Right. <laughs> what? Yeah. Like, where is it that you're the most valuable? Yeah. Uh, you know, and I mean, it seems silly and trite, but it's I, not, it's so true. Yeah. So that's what I, I finally started embracing it, but let me just say I've embraced it, but it doesn't mean it's easy. It's, it's, a, it's work every day still. Does that make that's sense? That's what separates us from the commoners. And I'm just going to say it because like, if you're not hustling, then I'm sorry, you will never be at the level that you're capable of there. And I don't, I'm, I'm against hustle culture where it's like grind, grind, grind all the time. Never take care of yourself. But if you're just playing it safe and you're never pushing yourself beyond where your comfort zone is, you're never going to play at the level that you can. And so you did that and you, you once asked a supervisor, I'm looking at some of the notes that we have on you for a 30% pay raise. Sister, that is like just for a woman alone, let alone a woman of color. That's a pretty ballsy move. Talk me through that. Yeah, I can talk you through that. So I was um, frustrated at the time because I was running all of marketing and hadn't gotten um, an increase in a year and a half, almost two years. And when I started, I was an individual contributor. And then I was, you know, I was a director of marketing and running all of marketing and they they hadn't come to me and offered me. They hey, gave you a title and more responsibility without the pay to go with it. Oh, that doesn't happen to women exactly. at all, ever. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, for a long time, I was happy to do it. I will say uh, for about, you know, nine months. And then I thought, what what, what am I doing here? Like, I have a really uh, incredible work ethic. And so I went and got another job offer because I was like, I'm only going to play this card once. Right. <laughs> but it's either going to work or it's going to bomb as far as like, you know, uh, so I had another job offer and I walked in with that job offer and I was like, I need you to pay me at least as much, if not more. And that, you know, we had the conversation and they were extremely apolog- apologetic and I'm so sorry, this was overlooked, this, that, the other, but that's when I realized like, we have to be selfish with our careers. No one else is thinking about your salary, mm-hmm. your responsibility, your title, the way you think about it. And you're the only one in that driver's seat. So if you're the main character of your story, <laughs> make it the main character of your story. Like I said, it is difficult. You have to challenge yourself every day. I do things that I'm scared of every day. Um, I was in a meeting earlier where I was about to say, this might be a stupid idea. And then I thought, no, you don't say that. Right. So like, it's not like I've reached this like pinnacle of like, okay, now everything is hunky dory and I'm golden every day. No. Um, but you just have to constantly remind yourself and, and push yourself and do things when you're scared. I mean, I'm sure you can relate to that as a business owner, right? Like you just operate scared, but every day. Yeah. But I mean, that's part of being brave. If you think about it that way, like you're scared, but you're also being brave. And that's the only way you can do things that are great. Yeah. Greatness doesn't come from safety and comfort zones. Everyone is like, oh, the economy and recession and blah, 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 blah. And then, of course, I deal with employer branding, which is important in all seasons, because even in a down economy, if you're on a hiring freeze, you better keep the good ones. Otherwise, you're screwed. So, you know, there's the onboarding and everything. But as I'm as I think about that every day, I'm just like, I'm not participating. Like I didn't participate in COVID. Don't get me wrong. I like participate. I wore my mask. I stayed at home, all that kind of stuff. But like I didn't participate in the frenzy. I just kept going. I'm like, all right, well, I don't know. But I've showed this a hundred times. I've had this on my 
monitor since COVID? How? Can't do it that way? Cool. That didn't work. How can we do it? And and asking that question. I want to call back. So since you showed me a post-it note, I just have to show you this. This is mine. <laughs> I love you so much. And I've had it on here. I rewrite it because it gets like grungy because um, I eat at my desk and stuff, but I've had it on here for years. <laughs> I love it. Don't ask permission for those listening, not on, on YouTube. Her Mine says how her says don't ask for permission, but I think I'm going to put another one because I think as women, especially, um, and, and, you know, of course, sometimes we have to generalize. There will be a woman listening like, I don't do that, but in general, and I've coached hundreds of women over the past decade and certainly have fed thousands of women, um, being the main, if you're going to be the main character in your life, then be the main character. Oh, that is powerful. And, and just, you know, I think it's, I can't remember if it's seat of the soul or which book it is, um, that talks about, we're all watching our lives in a movie theater, but my movie and exactly everything, how everything is, if we were hanging out today in person, my movie would be a different version than your movie. Cause you're looking at it. You're the main character. I'm the main character. Our, you know, supporting cast will appear differently. We'll have different opinions on what shapes those characters. I really, really think that's a strong takeaway for, for you to say that. So when you walk into that negotiation. It's not like, oh, well, my bills have gone up and I want to send my son to soccer camp. Like they don't care about that. They care about the value that you give to them and what will be taken away from that experience of theirs, which is the business. If you walk away, that's all they care about. And that's not wrong for them to care about that. You are definitely a human being. You are definitely an important piece of the pie, but you're also replaceable you're there to do a job. So when you go and you negotiate and you came in with your, oh, and by the way, they see my value over here. How about you? That's a different conversation than the economy's shifting. I need a rate, like yeah. not poor me it, but I have value and you're going to pay me. Right. And it, it is a value exchange, but it's also, if they're not meeting your value exchange, you have to have alternatives. Right. right. And you are willing to walk away. That's hard. It is, but when you're making more money, it makes it easier. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> or looking for a better culture or, you know, whatever that looks like. So now you broke a glass ceiling um, as a Latina in technology. So again, we have multiple layers here in Austin. That's like a hot, that's like, you know, there's like Silicon Valley, Austin. Like when you're thinking about tech hubs, that's a pretty big one. So what was that like and how did it make you feel inside while you were going through that transition and you had that moment of like, oh, I've I've just leveled way the heck up? Yeah. I mean, part of it was luck, right? My dad's an engineer. So uh, when I was like 11, I'd be like, hey, I want to go ride my bike. And he's like, no, you're going to set up a wireless router today. Remember <laughs> 91, right? Like, dad, can we go ride bikes? No, today we're going to set up a local area network because this is the early 90s and this is like you know, and after you did that or helped him build whatever computer or learned about ethernet, then you could go ride your bike. So some of it was just luck of being born into the family that I was born into. It made me not scared of technology. Um, and then I realized early on, like hmm, people in tech make a lot of money. I am not by nature an engineer. I could not code something. You want me to, you know, make you a program to do whatever. I'll get fired very quickly. <laughs> 
but I was able to figure out like my people skills, the tech skills, and then, you know, go from there. I graduated shortly after 9-11 and the economy was really soft. And this was actually, yeah. oh crap moment. I was going to say something else, but I'll keep it clean. Um, <laughs> Because I thought I was going to work at Cisco Systems. I was going to get, I was interning there and, you know, they were hiring. Great. Um, they were like, we're laying people off and we're rescinding offers. And I didn't know what rescind was. I was 21 years old. Like what? Um, so because I come from immigrant blood, if you will, the the hustle in me was like, I have to find a job before I graduate. Uh, so I started at a startup and I had no idea what startups were. Um, but they've made my career. Right. So like that giant shift where I could have sat down and just been depressed, sad, just, you know, discouraged, whatever. I was like, I've got to do something with this. Um, and now I've worked at a lot of high growth startups. I've been a part of a lot of mergers and acquisitions, and I'm always grateful for those things in your life that seem like a door is being shut on you, but instead it's really like putting you on the path where you need to go. Yeah. So something happened when, I finally realized like, I'm never going to be Scott or Peter or insert name here. Um, I started to see my value even more. And when you come from a place of security within yourself, you're even more willing to face other fears. So Mm -hmm. up until that point in my career, don't get me wrong. I did things um, that scared me all the time, but I was coming from a place of fear. And now I come from a place from of empowerment for the most part. doesn't mean I never get scared, but I'm like, I know what value I have. I've proven myself, right? I've also been doing this for 20 years. So know that yeah. if you're out there listening, you're like, oh my God, this is my first job ever. You may not feel that way. And that's okay. We all pay our dues, if you will. Right. But, you know, I come from a different place now and, and it's been super helpful. And honestly, I'm just in awe that I went from surviving to thriving, if you will. But there there is a whole gamut that I think I don't know if everyone has to go through that, but I can talk to you about my journey. And I felt like I needed to go through all those things to get to where I am today. Well, let's even, if we can unpack, because, you know, there's what I say that I do for a living is I help leaders and organizations define and position their value to maximize whatever results they're trying to get influence and results. And so a lot of women have an extremely hard time defining their value. So, I'm going to put you on the spot if that's okay. And, and just, can you articulate like, what is your value? How did you go from there to there? What, what are those characteristics that positioned you for success? Sure. So I think I'm naturally gritty because I'm a firstborn first generation. I had to figure out a bunch of things by myself. I didn't have anyone holding my hand and I didn't realize how that would set me up for success in the career world to your point, right? I'm doing something. I don't have the representation that I always wanted, um, as a female of color. Uh, but then I realized like, okay, I don't need it. Cause I've done it. It doesn't mean that I wouldn't want it, but like there was a point where I was like, I really need this. And then I'm like, no, I don't actually, I can learn so much from so many different people and I'll could just continue to kind of blaze this trail. So I think there was, there was a lot of that. And then really understanding again, I, I mean, comparison is the thief of joy. So there was so much of my career where I compared myself to white male executives or Caucasian male executives, because that's what I saw. And that's what I thought I had to do. Um, but through my MBA program, I got that card. (laughs) Listen, getting an MBA was very difficult, but I wanted to have that card in my back pocket in case I ever needed to play it. It wasn't because I was like, I love 
love learning. Let me be clear. That wasn't like, I can't wait to go, you know, spend 40 hours a week on school. No. Um, I got that card in case I needed to play it. And then I slowly like it evolved to where I realized like, this is my value. I can understand the intersection of technology and human behavior, which Mm. is what marketing can do. And because of how I grew up, I had to really understand psychology and how humans work, right? Think about not knowing the language in a country where my entire family moved together from Nicaragua to the United States. So it's not like we had mentors here or people that were like, you know what, this is what you do. But that formed my special sauce, if you will, unknowingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I just I, I just got out of conference season. I'm home. <laughs> but what I've continued to say, and I'm going to continue to say into 2023 from the stage is if you are not hitting an emotional connection in your marketing, you are not going to grow. Hard stop. And so when you think about the natural gifts of women, and before I finish this, let me just take a quick time out to my bombshell boys who are listening. You've heard me say this before. We see and support women to the benefit of all, not to the detriment of men. And I will be the first person to say that I have had countless white male mentors and allies who have grown my career, sometimes even more than my female counterparts. So None of this is a bash to you. Please know that you are super valuable. Um, We have a different perspective, which we're going to celebrate in this episode. So women naturally have more of a understanding of human behavior. We tend to be a little more empathetic. We tend to um, notice what's going on in another human being, despite whatever's going on inside of us, we're sensitive to that. And that's not to say that men don't, but I just think we have a heightened awareness. So I love that you bring that to the table and then it's mixed with the tech. That's, it's like science and, and psychology, you know, having a baby. Mm -hmm. Um, Can I ask a question? You're confident. I'm confident. And I was just sitting in the hot tub last night with my um, branding photographer slash super great friend of a gajillion years, Jessica. Um, she's been on the show before. And she said something about just like, obviously, I know all my weaknesses and I don't like using that word, but for the sake of lazy language, but I inherently like I know who I am and I know what's great about me and I know what's not great about me and what I need to bubble wrap and and like nobody can budge me on that. And I so see that in you. And I think that's why I was so excited to like, I'm like, let's get her on the show. Do you scare people? <laughs> mm, I have scared people. I don't know if I do regularly anymore. I feel like I've smoothed out some of my edges, but sure. I think if you're very certain of yourself and you um, know your strengths and weaknesses, for lack of a better term, I think that can be very intimidating to people for sure. Yeah. And how do you manage that? Because like, you're obviously like a warm, soft inside, like helper, but also badass. And, and so like, if people don't get that like gooey center of you and all they see is like the super self-assured person, how do you get them to truly see you beyond that confidence? I think I would have, I, it depends on the situation, right? But I think at work, I, approach things from a place of curiosity. And I try not to come in guns blazing for lack of a better term. Right. Um, so I try to approach things with curiosity. And then I've also, my sister taught me this because speaking of badasses, my God, she might intimidate me sometimes she's the youngest of three. So, and 
I know the birth order doesn't follow every family, but our family is like, if you looked up birth order, it's like, (laughs) it's like to a T, like they wrote the book for us. So she's the youngest and she's like, not everyone's going to like you. And I'm fine with it, you know? And I'm Uh like, I really struggle with that. Um, but she's taught me like, you know what? Not everyone's going to like me, but also does everybody like everybody? No, like that's that's okay. But (laughs) she's taught me a lot in that arena because yeah. Yeah. And then when you're leading a team, you want them to like you because I mean, that's advantageous for you to get things done, but also that's like, that's who you're with most of the time. Like you want to have community. And so when you do come in and you're like, you know, us, um, if, if they don't see the, the side of you that cares so deeply for them and you're going to let them borrow your confidence and you're going to use your confidence to like tear down walls and get them the tools and resources that they need. It's like, I'm a savage warrior for you. It's not about like you having to bow down to me and my power. It's about me using my power to then empower you because that's what a leader does. Um, now, now speaking of you had to do something really hard in your career, um, again, female perspective. I, I love having these conversations, but you had to lay off, uh, 70% of your staff at one point in your career. Mm -hmm. I've had to lay people like not easy furloughs, all that kind of stuff. Can you walk us through that? How did you do that? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, there were some tears for sure. Um, So it was March of 2020. There was this tiny thing called a pandemic. Um, That little thing. Yeah, that little old pandemic thing. But uh, I was in oil and gas at the time and will went negative, which like broke my brain. Like I have an MBA. I'm reasonably intelligent, but I was like, what it's negative. You would have to like pay people to take your oil. What? Uh, yeah, I had to lay off 70% of my team. Um, leading up to that point, what they don't know is that I was negotiating and fighting for like, what if we move this person into a customer success role or what if we like, I did everything I possibly could. I spent probably six weeks of long sleepless nights to try to understand like how many people could be saved if you would, by putting into a different role, this, that, the other. And at the end of the day, you know, 70% of the team had to go, which was fair, but I'll be completely honest with you. I part well, that was the reason why I left that job after that, my mental headspace for being there. I just knew I wasn't going to be a rock star in the sense, like I'm someone that's super driven and super dedicated and that's just who I am. I want to wake up every day thinking about like, how are we going to solve these problems? How are we going to do it together? And after that, I couldn't overcome it. So that's why I love that. that. Mm. And they were upset because they were like, wait, your job was saved. And I was like, yeah, but after six weeks of the mental gymnastics to try to figure out you're impacting people's lives. And I take that very, very seriously. I, I couldn't get past it, you know, I'm just kind of yeah. But I love how you modeled that. It's like, okay, we obviously there's going to be layoffs. This is an unavoidable situation based on where we are in the PNL. <laughs> um, but in the market and all these extraneous circumstances. But you, your first point was not, well, how are we going to let these people down? Which is maybe step two. Your first thing was like, how can we, how can this, that curiosity that you bring to the table? How can we look at this differently? How can we potentially put them in a, in another spot to save them? And then once that didn't happen, how did you, how did you communicate this to your team? Like that must've been a gut punch for you. Like even, even though it wasn't happening to you, like you're having to tell people that their livelihood is no longer being supported by the company that they trusted. 
Totally. So we were able to save some people's jobs, which was really nice. Um, a crappy silver lining. And then unfortunately it was all over zoom. Like this was yeah, uh, last week of March of 2020. And so I'd never, I'd laid people off before, but never in this mass time. It felt super impersonal. Now I feel like I get to know people. Like I totally feel like you and I could go hang out. We can have a drink. I feel like I know you, but back then, I mean, think about <laughs> back then it's only two years ago, but it's Girl, that like, was a long two years ago. <laughs> yeah. It was a long two years ago. And it felt I got some so- new wrinkles and some new sparklies <laughs> in my hair. <laughs> I, it felt so impersonal. I definitely teared up and my voice was cracking, but I could, you know, I was like, I told them the reality of the business. This is where we are. Like we lost almost 2000 customers overnight. Like this is, you know what we're doing, but it was awful. I mean, I still think about it sometimes because you're affecting people's livelihood. You know, but you showed your humanity. Like you weren't like, turn in your stuff. You're gone. Bye-bye. Like you actually showed empathy and walked them yeah, through. And I told all of them, like, if you want help with your resume or if like I can help connect you. And I mean, I'm, I always mean those things, right. Even with my team, regardless of where I work, I'm always like, guys, when you are ready or you feel like you're ready to move on, or there's something that you want, please come talk to me. Like, I don't want to be surprised by like, Hey, can you chat? This is my two week notice. Yeah. Like, let's talk what is it that you want? I can help get you there. Right. You're a happier employee if you feel like you're um, not held hostage. <laughs> right. But that you can have that type of conversation and it's it's a safe space. Like, let's do it back to belonging and psychological, psychological safety. safety. Yeah. I think that's really important. I'd love to drive that home because, you know, I, I've worked with some of the most talented, like people, I'm just like, how do I get to be your leader? Like you're so ridiculously talented and, and it's a blessing for me, but it's, it was same as you. It's very important for me, for anyone who reports to me to know that like, this isn't jail. I'm not going to be mad at you. If you decide that like, if there's not a spot for you to grow into here with me or somewhere in this company that I can help you get to, even if you have to leave my department or obviously now my company, then let's talk about what, what do we need to do to set you up to get there? Like, what type of assignments do you need to have? What new skills do you need to have? And I know there's people watching going, I'm not going to like train somebody so they could walk out the door. But if you're investing in people while they're with you, they're going to invest back into you. Even if one day they're going to walk out the door. Like they're going to work twice as hard because they know that you have their back no matter what. Totally. So people will care about you as soon as you know, that, as soon as they know you care about them. Yeah. And, and the world is such a small place. I don't like it when, let's say you leave a company and they just act like you're dead. Like you guys I are know. going to run into each other again. You were working together all yeah. those hours and it, you didn't die. Like you didn't die. You're going to run into each other again. You might as well make the best of it. Right. And I think it's like having those conversations. And that is your ongoing network. Like who you used to work with is part of that greater network of resources and people you can tap into. It should just never be ugly. Like it doesn't have to be ugly unless it's an ugly situation, which, you know, hopefully it's not. But if it's just like, I'm ready to do something different in my career, I'm ready to be challenged more. I'm ready to maybe take a shift and do this other role that isn't even a part of this company, or I want to try a new industry. Like, why is that a bad thing? How could that ever be a bad thing that somebody wants to continue to elevate in their life. It just makes my brain hurt. Well, and to what you do for <laughs> what you do, those people will be your uh, employee brand advocates forever, even if they don't work there. But That's they'll right. be like, what? go and work there with so-and-so because she's going to help lift you up in your career. And like that word of mouth marketing, if you will, 
<laughs> it is the highest ROI and not the easiest to get, but you know, like it's invaluable. And yeah. so you just, that's what you want, you know? Yeah. And employer brand central, we have four sections of the employee life cycle. Um, the employer brand um, loop is what we call it. And it starts with the attraction phase. Obviously, everybody's interested in talent attraction. Everybody wants to hire, hire, hire. And then they're like, that's what employer branding's for. And I'm like, that is just the beginning. Then you have the onboarding, the first 90 days, which half people just fail at, which is why 30% of people walk out the door in the first 90 days. Then you have engage, which is like the majority. And then there's offboarding. And people are like, why do you have a whole section for offboarding? And it's exactly what you just said. It's exactly what you just said. The people who are leaving you are the people out there talking about you. The people who are leaving you still can refer people to you. Like that is your, that's your honeypot. Like maybe even more so than the people who are currently in the position, maybe frustrated because it's a stressful time or whatever. The people who had a great experience and have moved on. That's amazing. Thank you for backing me up on that, sis. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing with customer acquisition, right? It's why you want right. your customer. Happy. Like anybody advocating for you and your brand is invaluable. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, and, and it is so aligned. It's like how you, how you acquire market share and how you maintain your customer base. And it's the same philosophy for your team. It's the same thing, just handled a little bit differently. Before we wrap up, I've got two more questions. Um, one that I always ask at the end and in this one, if I want to be in tech or maybe I'm just getting started in tech, what opportunities are available for women and especially minority women in technology? And, and if there are these opportunities, why do we still see so few female faces in the space? Yeah, that's a, that's a loaded question, but I, I definitely think that there, there are always opportunities depending on what it is that you want to, um, what you want to do, right. Whether it's marketing or learning technology or what have you, I think, I think it's a couple things. One, the awareness of it. So <clears throat> as a hiring manager, I have learned over the years that just because you post a job on your website doesn't mean people have seen it, right? Yeah. So we, I have hired or um, placed job advertising at like historically black colleges or in female groups or what, and you have to make a concerted effort mm-hmm. to make your job available out there if you want more diversity in your hiring or more diversity in your candidate pool, at least. Um, so you have to do that concerted effort. I think there are jobs out there for sure for women, but what I want to say to every woman listening that has self-doubt, stop being so self-doubtful. None of us know what we're doing. We're doing the best that we can. You just have to try like more than half the battle is trying is showing up and trying. Right. And I think not being scared or being intimidated by the fact that you know, you might be the only one in a room or you might be one of two people in the room. Like, it's okay. Just keep doing it. Oh, girl, I am always the token female on stage. (laughs) I mean, we have entire mantles of male panel members. It's like, you couldn't find a single female who might have an opinion on the topic that we're having this panel on. Like, really? And then like, I'm the token female, like speakers all lined up and, and I accept it. Like I do try to push back or say like, Hey, I've got this other woman who's a rock star and maybe she'd be good for this conference as well. But the reality is, you know, you have to get okay being the only one who looks like you in the room until you can start influencing how that room looks, but you can't influence until you get in it. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you're doing that. And I love again, to, if you if you want a diverse workforce, it's just like marketing to gain market share. 
you have to market where people are hanging out. You know, Walmart and Ritz Carlton are not marketing in the same areas. They're not advertising in the same areas. So if you're trying to attract diversity, then go into these groups and these online forums and, you know, make sure that faces not stock photos, but the faces of people who look like them are on your careers page. Make sure that your social media reflects that. I mean, it's just, it's, it's simple and it's not, it's, you just have to kind of take a step back and and think like, well, what if I was this person, what would I need to see to feel psychological safety and belonging to make a choice to come to work for this company? All right. You ready for the last question? Ready. I ask it every single time. So as a reminder, a bombshell. We redefine the term. Bold, brave, unwaveringly confident woman in business. Not unwaveringly confident because we wake up every single day like that and feel it all day long, but because when we fall down, we get back up. That's how we get there. What parting piece of advice would you give to any woman who identifies as a woman of any color who wants to be a bombshellers on the bombshell journey? Yeah. So this is one that was very difficult for me, but I have it on a post-it note also right now. <laughs> Um, you're the only one that can give away your power. What I mean by that, let's say you're in a room, let's say you're getting crapped on and it's horrible. Yes. That experience is not great, but don't give your power away to those people. It's not worth it. Like every, think of your power as like a battery of like, is it fully charged? Is it not fully charged? You have to be really in tune with that. Right. But don't give away your power to other people just because they don't see your value or just because they don't appreciate your skills, gifts, what have you. Like you're the only one that can give away your power. It's hard, but highly recommend it for anyone. That might be one of my favorite ones. I've been doing this podcast for over six years. That's probably one of my favorite ones. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm not one to necessarily do that, but there are seasons and I'm going to just put your smiley face in the back of my mind to pull that forward when I need to be reminded myself. <laughs> uh, I have it on my post-it note. Here we okay. go. <laughs> I mean, you think I'm joking. Like I have these post-it notes because sometimes you need a reminder. And there are times where, man, you're having a rough day and you're like, okay, what part of this do I own? What part am I giving away my power? And just think about it. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing your journey, for being so vulnerable, for giving sage advice and um, for being on the show. I am, I am a better person for knowing you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Uh, This was really fun. One of my favorites. Oh, good. Yay. Well, we'll have to keep in touch for sure. And bombshell, your time is super valuable. I know that you are being pulled in a million different directions, especially at the time of this recording. And, and, and I just, I know I I speak for Martha as well. Like we get you, (laughs) we know, but you've chosen to take this time with us. And and I treasure that. So um, in order to help other bombshells find this show and awesome guests like Martha, please make sure that you subscribe, that you share this with somebody who needs to hear about not giving away their power and tapping into their grit. Make sure that if you're on YouTube, that you like it, leave a, a, a honest rating and review on whatever listening app that you have. And what that does is it just kind of like tricks the algorithm and, um, and it puts it in front of the eyes of the people who need it most. So that's how you can help another woman. And I would appreciate that as well to help us grow our reach. Um, and other than that, I just want you to be the bad mamma jamma that you are. Remember to keep that power and I will see you on the next episode. 
Thanks for listening to the Bombshell Business Podcast. Visit AmberHurdle.com for more resources like show notes and check out the bombshellbusinesswoman.com to grab my book and download the free bonuses.